This is Exploring Leaders with serial entrepreneur Carl Magnus Norden. Carl Magnus will share his story on how he, after his 60th birthday, founded VoltaTrack, a sustainable and disruptive venture which will inspire you to take leadership in the digital age. Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate, and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders Podcast. The experienced team at Degosian interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degosian founder Lizalette Engstam, who is also an independent board chair and director, researcher, author, and advisor, asks the questions. Our guest today is Carl Magnus Norden. Carl Magnus is a serial entrepreneur. He is the president of the Swedish INSEAD Alumni Association, and he's the founder of the exciting, sustainable and disruptive venture Volta Tracks. Carl Magnus believes that the world needs more engaged entrepreneurs establishing new businesses to change our world for the better. He believes that you have different strengths at different ages and that it's the originality of the idea, closeness to customer need, and the mix of the team that makes the difference. This episode focuses on his entrepreneurial journey and areas he believes we need to focus. Let's start. Warm welcome. And uh, if we can start with, can you just tell us your name? And we're going to be a bit curious about, before we start talking about what you're doing today, a bit about your background. Where did you end up? How did you end up where you are today? So if you can start with that. Right. My name is Carl Magnus Norden, and I'm the founder uh, of a, tra- a, a Sweden-based company called Volta Trucks. Uh, my background is, uh, well, basically I'm a serial entrepreneur since 30 plus years, starting, uh, well, I have an MBA from INSEAD, which took me out of Sweden. I worked a few years in the UK for, for an American company. And then I set out of, uh, on my own, uh, first in, uh, in real estate, in the Benelux, then later an investment company in, uh, in the Czech Republic, and uh, coming back to Sweden, starting up or, or joining uh, an internet company. And also I, I worked with uh, crowdfunding, which took me into what I'm doing right now. Uh, so yeah, that's the background. That's, that's very cool. Thank you so much for that. That is quite hefty. Can we start with, what is your relation to INSEAD? Well, my, as I said, I graduated um, well, 35 years ago, uh, so um, it's quite a long time. Over the years, I've always kept quite close to INSEAD. Uh, obviously, the first few years, more on my own, uh, uh, the same group I went to the school with. When I moved back to Sweden after 20 years plus, I engaged myself in the Alumni Association here. And over the years, the last three years or three and a, and a half years, I've been the president of the Swedish Alumni Association. So yeah, quite a close, uh, a close relationship. I've also, in, in one of my ventures, the, uh, the speech enabling service for internet service, actually, I built uh, an inter- international organization in 12 countries and the country managers of six of them was actually MBA alumni. So um, I have uh, used or helped or whatever the, the alumni in, in different countries. So that's really exciting. What you're actually telling us is that it just didn't start with your own education. It actually provided you with a network. 
Absolutely, absolutely. When it comes, I mean, the, the benefit of, of uh, well, any MBA, I suppose, but especially in my case, INSEAD, is that you, you get from, from day one an international network, mm. an international network of people, obviously, with some uh, educational level, uh, but also by, especially the MBA program, I think, by having spent that time together uh, and so on, it's, it's quite, uh, you think, there is many things that you think similar. Mm. I mean, between the different nationalities, you have a lot of differences, etc. but you have a common base. Mm. And that, I think, has been very useful. And just fast forwarding to, to my venture today, out of seven people in the, in the management team, four of us are MBAs from INSEAD, and our lead investor is also INSEAD MBA. So uh, I think this is something one should really uh, be proud of and, and of course use, etc. is that you have this network to use if you, if you want, if you can. Uh, and you know, from my point of view, it has been very useful. And I think you are not unique because there's a lot of people from INSEAD doing this, but not everybody. And that is being a bit proactive yourself into the network. And why do you think, why are you extra good at that? Why do you think that comes? <laughs> well, I, I think it um, depends on your, of course, your, your uh, position in, in business, the, the, the need or the use of outreach, etc. As I said, I have been an entrepreneur. I've set up companies on my own, and with that, you—I uh, mean, if you if you have a position in a bigger company, it's often internally a contact, etc. is very important for your your promotion and your career, etc. But if you want to set up smaller companies and be international, you have to uh, you have to try to find out who do I know, who can help me, can I help somebody else, etc. So. Uh, I think from that sort of entrepreneurial situation, it's very useful. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is something we can all actually work even more on, even if you are in large organizations. Now, let's move over to your current venture. And if you just describe very overall what the venture is, and then we're going to deep dive in a couple of areas. Right. No, we, our slogan is we're building an electric truck for today's cities and tomorrow's generations. So, well, in a nutshell, that's what we're doing. We're building an electric truck. But I must say that is not really the business. The business is a service business. So we're not a manuf- we see, don't see ourselves as a manufacturing company. But building the track that doesn't exist today is the tool for us to be able to do the service business that uh, will be our, our business for the future. Mm. So, so that drives you into two questions. I mean, it's almost like an Elon Musk thing. How do you dare go into such an established industry with so many complex relationships? And where did you get the idea from? Well, firstly... Um, well, you know, if, if you want to do something um, new, etc., you cannot listen to everybody saying it's impossible. Uh, you have to have some sort of confidence in, in your abilities. If they are built on some solid ground or not, uh, it's a different thing. But why I think there is an opportunity in what we're doing right now is that there is a technology shift. 
It's a technology shift from the diesel engine, the combustion engine that has been the prevailing engine, of course, for the last, whatever, 100 years, to electric. Mm. And it's in these technology shifts that you that often the big ones, the established ones, take some time or in some cases are not capable of, of adapting. But in that shift, that's when you have, as a somebody from outside the industry, you often have a chance. And, and that, I think, with the experience I have, I, I, I don't think this is a more difficult bet than any of my other ventures. I honestly think it's almost an easier bet than uh, any of the other things and more probable than, than many of the other ventures you see uh, popping up today. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that has... Yeah, they, yes, it's an established industry. There are established players, but I think we will have, uh, we will have a very good chance to succeed. Mm. Mm. And talk us through a bit around the, the, how did you get to the idea? How did it mature into actually becoming a venture? Uh, that going, you mentioned Elon Musk. And, mm. and I think uh, not only for me, but for, for the whole industry, if it's automotive or, or trucking or something, the, uh, the, in, in the established player's mind, I think the alarm bell in, in my uh, mind, the, the sort of the light, I would say, was when Elon Musk launched the Model 3. Mm. That was 1st of April 2016. We all know what happened, three, 400,000 orders in a few weeks for a car that didn't exist. Uh, that is a big, obviously a big sign there is something in this. Normally, the German car manufacturers would launch any new ideas in the Frankfurt Fair. All of them rushed to the Paris Fair in September, the same year. And they all said, you know, Mercedes, we should have 10 new uh, um, electric cars by 2025. And, and Volkswagen, of course, with a, a need to polish their reputation after the diesel, uh, diesel scandal, they said they should go all electric, etc., etc. So the car side has, has already changed. Then it takes a few years for these guys to actually, you know, go into and produce, etc., etc. But that's a done deal. Mm. For me then, uh, as I said, as a small entrepreneur, you see a big shift, something is happening. Is there an opportunity to jump in here somewhere and, and, and create some value? The first thing I looked at was uh, uh, charging infrastructure, and we actually spent some time on that. We talked to some customers, et cetera, et cetera. After, well, some analysis, et cetera, and a few months of, of that, we said it's not, we didn't really feel that we could could do, get a get good business out of it. We, we then came into the, the trucks, trucking business at the time, and honestly, still, the, uh, the, the big OEMs or the big players uh, had not done almost anything, and today, not very much. So uh, that's the part of the market. You see the change, technology change, where can you find a foothold in this market? And, and that's the foothold we have seen, and, and that's what we have, are exploring. You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotian blog, which you can find at degotian.com. I find it very interesting because it's, um, I mean, it, it doesn't start from zero. You have a lot of experience. 
and probably that helps uh, because you kind of know where to sort yourself out. You you mentioned how you started to do a bit of analysis and all of the analysis was close to the customer. How did you go about the format? What do you think the actual venture should be? Well, firstly, uh, you mentioned that, but as I don't come from the industry, I don't really have not really been very interested in trucks yeah. <laughs> all my life, etc. Uh, you have to learn something first. You have to understand uh, or try to understand as rapidly as possible how this industry works. And, and of course, if you want to do some, something new, it's not necessarily how the, the industry works today, but how do you see it could work in the future. In any case, whatever you do, I think it's important to listen to the customer. Mm. The beauty of what we are doing is that we know the customer. It's not like if you have a new, very smart whatever uh, software product and and you're trying to look for the customer. In our case, the beauty is that we know the customer. Mm. They exist, they are there, they're driving diesel trucks today. So what I did, uh, I then got in contact with one of the early, very early companies in Europe uh, that actually did, they produced electric trucks by taking a diesel truck and taking away the diesel drive line and putting in an electric drive line. They had done this, it's a Dutch company called Emos, and they had done that for a, a few years and they had probably 200, 250 trucks on the road. So I, by that, you know, that it could work. Uh, and then that gave me the opportunity to go out to uh, actually sell this, or try to sell this to the customers in, in Sweden. So I visited and, and the good thing was they were interested. So all of them opened the door and, and let me in. Uh, and yeah, then you get, you know, hands-on from the customer, what are the considerations, what is important for them, etc. Et so that's how I started to phase one, learning the industry or understanding the, the customers, the customer needs, thoughts, etc. Then, of course, your next step is that you want to go from there and form your own product or service or whatever it is. Yeah? So, uh, yeah, so that's phase number one. Oh, number two. So in my case, I saw that due to what we are doing is really we we totally redesign a truck. Uh, We have a very uh, focused market niche. So that's also an advantage for you as a small, small person. You don't have necessarily to serve everybody. Mm. You can go for a niche where you think it's the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, so that indicates something of your design or what your product should be. And then in our case, we saw that they, if, if somebody wants to take this or, or go for something new, they, you, they wanted in their perspective to reduce their risks and their need of learning new things, etc. Mm-hmm. So we then built a service model that is adapted to that. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, you, you're still, you've stayed very close to understanding the customer and really building your services out of that. How quickly did you bring on other people into the company? And what, what did you think about who do you need and what do you need? Well, in my case, for a number of reasons, uh, one is, of course, competence and knowledge. And other is credibility, etc. I needed to complement my own skills with somebody with solid, you know, automotive, uh, manufacturing, uh, etc. skills of that, uh, with that skill set. So I was lucky to actually in the INSEAD network, 
I, uh, I got in contact with, uh, with my business partner and, and co-founder, Kjell Wallön. And his background is then more than 20 years uh, with automotive manufacturers like Ford, Volvo and, and Polestar. He has been in the, in the leading plant manufacturing uh, or plant uh, construction teams. Uh, he has experience from China, which everybody is looking at, of course, as you know, everything is coming out of China, etc. So he has a very broad experience mm-hmm. of that. So I think we complemented uh, each other, our skills, very well. He has been then an employee all his life, so he has not the, so much the, or didn't have so much of the entrepreneurial, you know, he, not practical anyway, even if his mind is, is very entrepreneurial. So and that was my first uh, uh, recruit, you can say, or, or something like that. With that, we then approached the, the difficulty with this kind of venture is to get anywhere you need somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like a tech startup where often you need a couple of very smart guys, a few uh, laptops and, and uh, a stack of pizzas, and they basically can create a, a product or a service. Mm-hmm. In our case, you have to build something. It costs a couple of million uh, euros before you basically have something so it's a quite an odd size it's not family and friends uh, mm. you know 200,000 euros or something we are we have to have at least one uh, zero more so it's a difficult size but anyway uh, so I managed to, to to get that far find some investors that thought this seems to be a good bet and uh, off we went mm. and um, now you are up there, you've got your first number of employees, and now you got um, some investors. What were your next steps? What did you uh, g- did you grow with people, or did you grow kind of the concept more before you were starting to grow the company? <clears throat> no, the first thing uh, we did was really trying to find the best suppliers or partners or whatever you call it. Uh, so we were scouting around Europe for the best engineering company, the best designers, and uh, and so on. So, uh, yeah, that was really the starting point, finding them, negotiating with them, getting them understand what we wanted to do, and uh, commission the work. Mm. Uh, parallel to that, when we talk about the organization, actually the third person in our team was our communication manager. Because mm. uh, I think in today's world, that's very important. Mm. How you build your image, how you communicate to the market, of course, all kind of social medias, etc., etc. So, yeah, that is important for for all kind of things. Of course, customers, Mm. investors, employees, general public, etc., etc. So, um, uh, yeah, I found, even if it's not in my background, I found in this venture that very useful. Mm. And I think I recommend anybody doing anything that you have to really think about your communication strategy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So true and such, such good advice. So now you are, you've got the concept, you've got your partners, you've got to start to communi- communicate. What stumble blocks did you fall into then? What, what is it that kind of held you back that you had to overcome? Uh, well, in general, I think we have executed quite well on, on our plan. You have... Um, what should I say? Of course, on the recruitment side, uh, for a number of reasons, I wanted 
to get some, uh, our team is then, Rochelle and I, is um, experienced, to put it uh, nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want uh, a mixed, mixed team. So we wanted some, uh, some younger people mm -hmm. in the team. We wanted some other competences. Uh, fundraising, I think, for any startup, or most startups anyway, if you want to accelerate, you can do it the old way. You build one track and then you say make some money out of that and you build two tracks, etc. That, I think, is a losing strategy in today's world. Mm -hmm. So you need to fundraise. Uh, and on the other hand, as we all know, there is quite a lot of money out there. You just have to position yourself right, etc. So anyway, the, 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 the third, uh, in principle, the fourth person we recruited was um, also from INSEAD, but anyway, our CFO. Right, uh, and uh, I had a fortune, or I should say like this: that I then, when I got the funding, uh, I, I focused quite early on to the two major cities in Europe, so it's London and Paris mm -hmm. as our markets. We needed to know more about the customer base, who they are, what track size is, etc. A lot of things. Mm -hmm. The market intelligence. So um, uh, I was fortunate that uh, INSEAD, in the MBA programs, if you start in January, you have two months of, uh, of summer break. So I went down to INSEAD and I recruited a, a couple of people, uh, one French, one English, and actually Chinese, to do these studies over the summer. Uh, so that was the second phase. The good thing with that, one of the, the, the English uh, person, uh, he had a background from, uh, from investment banking and auditing and, and so on. Deloitte and, and J.P. Morgan. So he, I saw him very qualified as the CFO. And then later we have also recruited uh, a, a CEO uh, that uh, comes from the industry. So he has been on the buyer side of these kind of services for, mm -hmm. for the last eight, nine years. Stumbling blocks, well, uh, you always have a lot of small things. Uh, there are bumps in the road all the time. It's your task and challenge and I think very fun to try mm. to mitigate uh, these different things. Mm. None of the things that, you know, you cannot get around or climb over or do something. To get even more value out of the podcast series Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian website, which you can find at Degotian.com. Which is such a good word. Just get going. So, so let's look at where do you see, what's the vision, where do you want to take this? Well, we, have, we are fortunate to be in a sector where I think you, we are doing, if, the more successful we are, the more global good we're doing. Mm. Uh, uh, obviously, the less pollution, uh, whatever you, you are producing, uh, the safer you make the cities, etc., the better it is for, for everybody. Uh, the less noise you have if you are walking on a street in, in anywhere, etc. So that, I shouldn't say that, that's something we always should have in the back of our mind, that mm -hmm. if you try to, you know, you always have to sell, and you have to sell to everybody, uh, and you should... Uh, you shouldn't be shy of selling. Mm. Uh, and I, that's what I'm always trying to say to people, any customer that we then uh, manage to convince is, has a global good impact. Mm. So that's, that's one thing. It's not, it cannot be your overriding objective because then you, I think you are steering in the wrong way. 
Mm. Uh, but uh, generally, if I see where we want to be, we want to be in a few years' time, one of the biggest or hopefully the biggest or something provider of, mm, what I say, we call it uh, track as a service. So uh, basically, yeah, track, <laughs> tracking services in as many cities as possible, mm. most likely our base uh, in Europe, but uh, maybe also the US. Mm. Because of the way that you have both designed your product and also kind of using the thing that it goes on electricity, it's a lot of focus, I understand, on, on your um, uh, customers and on your drivers, actually. So Perfect. how would you think and link this to actually being running, developing and running a business as a force for good? Well, as I said, I think the more successful we are, the better, you know, force for good, I think, is, is in the, the spine of our business. Yeah. So we replace something that is less healthy. We replace something that is less good and work environment for the people. Some of the cities, and I think it's a good objective, like Paris, in principle, they want to get rid of all cars in Paris. Mm. Uh, but it's still, you will still have shops, you will still have uh, restaurants, you will still have supermarkets, etc., etc., to service the inhabitants of the city. Mm-hmm. So you still forever, most or more alike, I mean, for the next foreseeable future, you need transport uh, into the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and then you want that to be as disruptive as possible uh, as low noise level as possible, as least polluting as possible, and also the safest for, uh, you know, the inhabitants of the cities, the pedestrians, the, the bikers, uh, whoever. So um, that's our objective. Mm. And, and it's almost like if you are a large company, you need that objective to move you there, but you have made it part of your actually base objective that is your your spine as you were saying and so knowing what you know now what are some of the recommendations you would give to other inspired uh, entrepreneurs and leaders <laughs> well from the uh, number one i don't think you should be shy i don't think you should be if you have a dream if you have an idea etc find out the facts number one uh, number two, don't necessarily think I should be good. In, in our case, we could say we, it has to work in Stockholm before we go to Copenhagen, and, and then we go to Oslo, and then we, are, you know, we go over to one of the biggest cities in Europe. Anyway, Europe is, is one market, mm. uh, and especially with a background like, like mine and many other MBA uh, students, you have quite of a network mm. and, and so on. Use that. See where do you want to start your business, uh, and a lot of younger people do that already. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, if I think it's Germany, I go to to Berlin. If I think it's uh, London, I go or UK, I go to London, etc. But the national borders are not super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, try to see where is the sort of product market fit the best, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, then of course the overriding thing: yes, you should do analysis. Yes, you should look at market, uh, but the whole thing is that you have to believe it and you have to do it. So I also wanted to ask you a bit about um, 
your own age and your perspective on how old can you be when you're an entrepreneur and where do you see that this is going also with the rest of the world? Well, as I said before, I'm not uh, very shy. I think it's quite fun, actually, that I, uh, this month I, um, I reached the noble age of 65. Uh, so I started uh, formally this venture when I, when I was 64. Uh, and, um, well, that's the way it is. I think, from my point of view, I have a lot of friends that are retiring or have retired, etc., etc. And uh, they are doing fun things. They travel, they play different sports, etc., etc. But I do not want to change with any of them. Mm. So I think it's much more fun what I'm doing than, than most of the people I see around me. Mm. So that is, of course, feels good. And the other thing is, of course, if we look more globally, uh, especially on the Western world, mm. today most people probably that have reasonably healthy, etc., will reach an age of 90, 95. I mean, if the med medicine develops, you probably can reach even higher ages. Mm. So when you have reached 65, uh, you have maybe 30 years more to live. And, and that, of course, uh, it's, it's not, a tangible or a possible way for the Western world to, to do that people retire when they are 60 and they live another 30 years. It's mm -hmm. also an enormous waste of resources because yeah. many of these people or most of the people of course have experiences, knowledge, etc, etc that is wasted. Mm. Uh, so um, it's, it's just not a good business model. Mm. Uh, and if I then come back to our business, I think that, of course, if you have reached a certain age, maybe you do not have the same energy level, etc., as, as somebody younger. Uh, but you maybe, in some cases, or many cases, can compensate that with maybe being a little bit more efficient or a little bit smarter or something like that, or more experienced, put it that way, mm. not smarter. Mm. Uh, but still, I, so I think the best, the best is in a company to combine different, uh, of mm. course more experienced and, and probably older and uh, younger, energetic, etc. It's not only the competences of your education, etc. It's also an age, uh, age thing. And uh, yeah, so that's my, my view. Very inspiring. And I think one of the things just sitting on the same board as you and talking to you many times I think that the, the key treat is just get going, just start, uh, and then kind of see where it leads you. But don't think too much in the beginning, because then you won't, then the hurdles will probably be too much. Exactly. Think, you shouldn't overcomplicate it. Eh? But yeah, yeah. what I think then is, is good mm. is where are your, your strengths mm. and see not, nobody is obviously perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, even if we all believe we are close to it, but uh, <laughs> no, but uh, see where you feel you are relatively weak, mm. and instead of trying to learn everything, know everything yourself, etc. See who can complement me. What mm. kind of skills do I need? How do I build a good team? In my case, as I said, is one thing for the success of the business, mm -hmm. but the other thing is uh, the trust or probability of your success and the trustworthiness of you when you try to raise money and convince a customer and things like that. Right. I'm going to end up with a, maybe a bit of an odd question, but I hope you like it. And that is, if you were a furniture, what would you be 
and why? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, would I be a chair or a sofa or a <laughs> no? Um, the furniture can I be a plant? Yeah, it can be anything. Okay, I would more like to be a plant. Okay, would... absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and tell me why. What is it? Well, I think the the beauty, of course, of growing. Um, Trying even, I'm looking at the plant right in front of me, and what do they do? They try to direct them, well, them themselves to the sun, mm. which is where lights come from, where the, the living come from, etc., etc. So mm. that is good. Mm. Uh, also, obviously, looking more forward than backwards. Mm. Uh, you can learn something from your history, from your experience, etc., but the fun thing is in, in the future. Mm. Uh, in front of you instead of behind you. Uh, and I think, it, uh, you know, it's, I'm not shy of saying I'm, I'm uh, close to 65 years old. Mm. So um, even in that age, it's more fun looking forward than, than backwards. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think you are yourself such an inspiring role model. And I look forward to continue to work with you and find ways to interact. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Thank you very much, Lieselot. Fun to be there. Thanks for listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by Degotion with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you like to listen to, contact us via our website, degotion.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.